No, I do want to say I'm, I'm not an expert in theology. I just think about stuff a lot. Okay? And I'm not a trained musician. I just worship a lot. So um, hopefully you'll be able to um, hear Well, resonate. This is getting entertaining. What I do know is I'm a child of God, just like all of you here. We are children of the King. I'm a dad. I'm a leader in the marketplace. I'm a leader here at Victory. Uh, so I, I know that God has um, provided for me areas of leadership, and, and I just want to share some things with you relative to worship today. I don't think I've ever preached on, wor- on worship. I don't think I've ever teached on worship, which is an amazing thing after 20-some years leading worship here. I've always chosen to taught or to teach on something else, and that's obviously been led, led by the Holy Spirit, so it's just kind of an interesting thing to reflect on this topic after, after 20-some years uh, leading, leading worship here. I've been an elder here for 10 years. Um, time really flies. You know, I can, I can stand up here today before the church and everybody online and say that I am so blessed and so proud to be part of the worship team here at Victory. Um, I can look at each one of our elders and deacons straight in the eyes and know right away that if I'm going to war spiritually, I want you. You know, I want you, Bob. I want Darren. I want Dad. I want, you know, all of the elders. I don't, Alan, I mean, my gosh. If we're going to spiritual war, we've got a team that, that operates in unity here at Victory. That's a very strong and unique thing for this church body. We're very blessed by uh, the unity that's, um, that's really brought to us by, by God himself. You know, Mike and Cindy as, as our leader, uh, you know, when you talk to Mike, this is the one thing that he is so focused on and centered on all the time is unity in the church, unity in the church. So I do pray that my experiences and just the, the uh, things that I can bring and offer today are not about me. This is not about me. This is just about the experiences that God has um, blessed me with in my life, and hopefully some of those resonate with you. So before I get started, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for this topic of worship uh, that, that um, is just such a dynamic part of relationship with you. It's, it's more than honor. It's more than respect. God, it's more than praise. It's more than singing. It's more than just carnal obedience, just doing things and, and giving things to you. Lord, we, we just want to see this worship as a demonstration in spirit and in truth of realizing who you are and responding to that accordingly. So God, we thank you for this time. We just ask that everything I would say uh, or do today would lay at the feet of Jesus. It's his, in, him, in His name we pray, amen. All right. There was a book that I read a number of years ago. Some of you have probably read this book uh, as well by A.W. Tozer. And um, <clears throat> it's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I've got to be honest with you, it's a little bit of a tough read. But there are some profound things in there. If you have a chance to read it, I would suggest reading it. Tozer goes into some really deep topics about the 
aspect of who God is, his character, his attributes. And the more, the more you read it, the more you realize how holy this God is that we serve. And I wanted to put this quote up um, for us to just kind of frame our minds toward worship because this, this statement in, in this book, it's not the Bible, but it, it made me think about the Bible. It made me think about the Word and God and worship in a completely different way than I had before. You know, I've, I've played, uh, you know, I haven't played instruments for as long as I've sang, but I played instrument for probably six or eight years. I've sung for many, many years. But I would say probably 15, 20 years ago when I read this book, it just reshaped the way that I think about worship. What comes into our minds when we think about God? What comes into our minds when we think about God? You know, that's, that's one of the most important things about us. His holiness, His righteousness, His grace, His mercy. There is no other name. So, for me, this kind of sets up this um, kind of two sets of ideas of revelation and response. As God reveals to us who He is, how do we respond to that? It's how we respond to that that really equals worship. Worship is a, is a dynamic thing, right? It's communication with God. We have the Word, we have worship, we have prayer, and God uses this to develop relationship with us. As we learn more about Him and more about who He is, we realize more and more who we are. And the expression of that relationship, the expression of that dynamic, that's what worship is. It's so much more than praise. It's so much more than praise. You know, I've, I've let the congregation in on a little secret uh, before, but I'll just say it again. Those that play on this team are pretty green musicians. Um, you know, I've said I played guitar for six to eight years. I tell you, I've learned four chords and a capo. It's not that hard, you know, to do, to do that with a strumming pattern. But it's the heart of our worshipers. It's the heart of our team that I've found to be the most important aspect of worship. The most important thing on the victory praise team is where is your heart? Because God wants our heart. So knowing our God, that's the first thing I want, to think, I want to talk about because knowing our God is such a critical and foundational aspect of, of worship itself. And, and we have to know that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, right? The translation persons probably isn't perfect. You know, as, as, the, as the word was written and we translated into English, you know, the, the expression of God, there's three distinct different expressions or persons of God that belong, don't miss this, this is really important. They belong equally, simultaneously, and fully to the nature and essence of God. Wow! Our minds can't, totally grasp this yet, I don't think. But he's given us the good news, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to vet this out, to read the Word, to communicate with him in worship, to pray, to have relationship with other believers and, and figure this stuff out. But, but God is the center point. 
He is the one worthy of worshiping. And we have to know that He is truly one God. And you know, if you have your Bibles um, or your iPads or your phones, I just encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy 6. The fact that the whole and undivided, the whole and undivided essence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are one. They belong, it belongs equally, simultaneously, and fully to the three persons of the Godhead. And so, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, it says this. Here, this is, by the way, one of the first times we see this, um, this, this dynamic and, and the encouragement for the people of God to worship Him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is a big deal. This is early on in the church, uh, or in the, in the uh, dynamic of God, not the church, but the dynamic of God in his, in his people. And he's encouraging the people that to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, that is what he desires of us. He wants our heart. If you turn also to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, we'll go to a couple um, New Testament scriptures here. One now, a couple others later on. But what I want us to, to pick up here is that He is one and He is holy. He being the three-person Godhead. He being the Father. The Son is to be glorified. The Holy Spirit is to be acknowledged. He's our helper. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And He said uh, to him, this is in response to a question, You shall love the Lord. What? So the question is, what's the most important commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the genesis. This is the center point issue in worship. Loving the Lord our God with, with all of our fiber, with all of our being. He's holy. He's pure. He's undefiled. How do we get to know Him? Read the Word. Communicate with Him in prayer. Worship. Fellowship with Him and other believers. Connect, grow, serve. That's how we get to know Him. Some people have tried to explain the dynamic of God with ways that our mind you know, can associate to. Like, for example, an egg. You know, there's three parts to an egg. There's a shell, there's the white, there's the yolk. Um, but that's not a perfect way to think about God. Yes, three three in one, but there's three very, very separate, separate, distinguishable parts, then, you know, if you, if you, if you took one away, um, the, it's the simultaneously that, that it's hard to make that mind reach to. Uh, some people have described it as a pretzel, you know, where there's this long piece of bread that gets turned in several ways, and the different parts of the pretzel are, are representative of you know, being different parts of the pretzel, but then uh, one, one pretzel. And if you break it off, then there's not a pretzel. All of these explanations, uh, you know, will fall short at, at some, some level. And uh, probably my favorite, actually, is um, it aligns well with Psalm 19.1. It says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. 
You know, if you think about the heavens, if you think about the, the universe, you pretty much land on three things. Matter, space, and time. Would the universe be anything without matter? Don't know. Would it be anything without space? Probably not. Time? No. But all three together, you know, form this existence of, of the universe. And even that falls short. But I think it's helpful to think about this in terms of the way that God expresses Himself. And the only way to, to really understand ourselves and to understand worship and knowing who He is is to, get, is to get our mind in this place of God is one and He is holy. His righteousness endures. His mercy endures. His grace is sufficient. He is an awesome Savior. So thinking about God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit as one is really an important thing for us to consider and think about and, and study and, and uh, think into as we discover God and, and He reveals these things to us, then, then we have something to respond to, right? And the other thing about God that is very clear in Scripture, no matter how you might think about uh, as, as, as short as the definition or example might be, the one thing that is very clear about the Godhead is the unity the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's just not compromised. The Father, the Father provides. He sends, right, the Son to the cross. Bob talked about this. Pastor Bob talked about this before communion. Jesus Christ is the living Word. He's our Savior. Think about this. I mean, there. you know, when we sing about there is no other name, there is no other, there really is no other Fully God and fully man. Imagine that. Just think about that for a minute. He was, at his time, walking on the earth. He was born into the earth as a human being. He was fully man and fully God at the same time. He walked as a man, but that never took away his godness, his, his um, authority even of being God. It was, it was always there. And he chose to go to the cross, fully man, fully God, on our behalf. It was the only way. There was no other way. There is no other name because there is no other being like Him. Fully God, fully man. And then there's the Holy Spirit, the the one who was sent by the Father because of what Jesus did at the cross to speak to us, to help us, to lead us, to guide us. So the... The unique expressions of God are so vital to key into, so so important for us to truly understand, you know, what we are, what what we're doing here, and who He is. So that leads us to, you know, kind of what, what we are. In order to know ourselves, there's only one path to truly know ourselves, and that is knowing who we are through Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, it's like there's only... I mean, it's kind of like the, 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 the analogy to the universe. If you take one thing away, does anything exist? If you don't know Jesus, you don't know part of yourself. 
There's a, there's a spiritual death that we all are born into. And in order to bring that spiritual man alive inside of us, we have to be reborn. The whole message about being reborn and, and rebirthed that Nicodemus had such a hard time with, it's a spiritual thing. And in order to open up, in order to awaken that part of us, we have to know Jesus. The only way we can know Jesus is that the Father sends the Holy Spirit to lead us into that truth. We can't even do that without Him. We can't even come to to Jesus without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit uh, being impressed upon us. So this is a really cool thing. I mean, God's plan... You couldn't make this up. Only He could make this up. But understanding who we are is such an important part of the relationship uh, to, to Him. But again, the only path is knowing who we are through Jesus to the Father and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, this uh, iceberg picture. We can go on to the next slide. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite probably pictures or uh, mind pictures of all time. And what it really illustrates is, uh, the iceberg illustrates a person. Okay, if you can hang with me a minute here. And there's the seen parts of a person and there's the unseen parts of a person. And it's really helpful to think about ourselves in this way in relation to what God wants. What does God want of us? Does God want of us the seen parts, the parts that are easy to see when Glenn goes out and helps people with his great gifts and everybody watches Glenn and says, wow, look at Glenn. Hasn't God blessed him with an amazing gift? Does God want that? Of course he does. But if Glenn is operating just out of his gift, what does it mean? There's so much underneath, isn't there? And if you notice how the attitude there is kind of right on the surface of the water, we can kind of see people's attitude, but we can't always see people's attitude. We can't, we can't always demonstrate our attitude while knowing that there's part of our attitude inside here that we're not, kind of let, we're not letting out for people to see. Right? So as we go down lower to the depths of the iceberg... We get to the parts that God really desires. He really finds these things precious, like perceptions. What are our perceptions? What do we believe about Him? What are our values? What is our worldview? So we've got the outcomes, maybe the fruit that everybody can see in our behaviors. Everybody can see. But what what does fruit mean if there's not a pure heart behind it? What do our behaviors mean if we're just doing it to look good or belong? They don't mean a lot, right? It's what's underneath that God finds precious. He wants, he wants your soul more than your stuff. That's what He wants. He wants the depths of our heart. So that's a little bit about knowing ourselves as individuals, but I also want to talk about knowing ourselves as the body, as the body of Christ. And this is where the conversation around worship, praise and worship, 
really comes in. Because, you know, we, we way too often depend on the opinions of man. And what I spoke to early on in the, in the beginning here, to unity within the body, unity within the Godhead. See, unity, God uses unity for a very important reason. And you can read about this in John chapter 17, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible, where Jesus is praying for us about being a demonstration of unity so that the world may know that Jesus is who God sent, you know, to, that He is who He said He was, that God sent Him to save our sins. And there's such a picture of unity in that chapter, and I, I, we miss it. We miss it as as the church. You know, not just this group of, of believers, but I mean the church in general, other churches. Um, let, let me just go right at it. What's wrong with today's Christian books? What's wrong with today's Christian clubs? What in the world is wrong with today's Christian songs? What's wrong with today's Christian denominations? See, sometimes I think we have this war going on that's inward-facing as much as it is outward-facing. And as a worship leader, as a leader in the church, I get really frustrated with this. Because we need to be out demonstrating to the world the unity that we have as, as a body, the unity that we have as families because that's attractive. You want unattractive? You start picking on your friends. You start picking on your family. Who wants that? You know, and this gets really tricky when you start to consider things like Bible doctrine and, um, you know, making sure that we are making accurate demonstrations of the truth of Scripture. Well, you know what? It's a lot easier than we make it. Because we do have the truth. We do have Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in the discernment of any creative work that man makes. I don't care if it's a song, a book, a teaching. We have the Holy Spirit and the Scripture to vet that out, to judge that. So as, as a leadership group, we talk about this a lot. You know, when we have elders' meetings uh, every other week, we talk about, oh, did you guys hear about this book? Or did you hear about this song? And, you know, that is an important thing to do. I am not minimizing at all the need to be accurate. When we sing songs, the, the, the body here needs to know that we have a vetting process for the songs that we sing. We have a team. Sam usually sends out an email to the team. It says, hey, we're thinking about, you know, these sets of new songs, these one or three new songs. Uh, and the team is made up of elders and elders' wives and those that discern well in terms of how words map to Scripture. And, you know, the question goes something like, is this scripturally okay? And you know what? We've kicked some songs out. In fact, we just did it like last week. You know, it's a great song. Um, don't know that there's anything, you know, really wrong with it, uh, but it doesn't line up to Scripture in this area. It's maybe gray even. 
And as a leadership team up here, we don't want to be misleading in any way. So we sing songs that are scripturally accurate. And then you get into some of these um, you know, topics about the songs being just about us or um, you know, just circumstantial. And <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crossing of the side of legalism that can show up too. I mean, God created us as expressive beings. And so to, to get into the emotion of, of who we are and who, we got, and who God is, you know, we, we don't always have to sing, you know, the old songs or the songs that we sing all the time. And I'm not just talking about hymns. There's some contemporary uh, songs that, you know, have been overdone as well. But, you know, a lot of times in... in um, we went to a conference, the, the worship team went to a com- conference a couple of years ago, and there was a speaker that was pointing out um, what he believed to be true, and, and I, I believed him, I had no reason not to believe him, that one th- if you pick out an old hymnal and you start flipping through the pages and discerning all of the, all of the words and mapping it to Scripture, to scripture about one-third of the songs, he would argue are at least scripturally inaccurate and maybe even heresy. The old hymns. So, as a worship leader, at times I've been frustrated uh, with that as well on two, two fronts. You know, the songs that come out, the new songs, contemporary songs, there's often some very good songs that just have one little line or phrase in there that just... Mm, it's just not quite right. Well, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to us because this worship setting is such an important dynamic in knowing who God is. So we want to sing truth. But having said that, you know, Jesus spent most of his time warring against the spiritual leaders of the day, didn't he? So we don't want to cross over into this legalism thing either. Because our goal is to know God. Our goal is to know God in, in every way, with our mind, with our body, with our, soul, with our spirit. You know, we want to know God in every, way, in every way, which does include our mind, will, and emotions. I want to touch just a little bit on, on this a little bit more because... Um, especially in the area of books, also songs, but, but, but books in understanding who God is, who we are. Sometimes as authors express themselves, the words don't come out right. I don't know that that's always intentional. And, you know, there was a really interesting thing that happened between Paul and Peter that I think we need to learn from. If you remember, this is found, um, actually this is found in, in Galatians 2, if you want to turn there or write it down later. Um, Peter, James, and, and John were released to spread the gospel to the Jews, the, circum, the circumcised, right? And, and Paul and Barnabas went to the Gentiles. So if you can imagine this for a minute, you got Peter, James, and John, they're, they're Presenting the gospel uh, to the Jews in, in their, you know, 
in their way so that it connects with the Jews. And then Paul and Barnabas are, are preaching and teaching out in the area to the Gentiles in the context where, where the Gentiles connect to it. And um, when, Peter rec- or when Paul recognized all of a sudden that Peter at Antioch was avoiding the Gentiles. Why do you think he was avoiding the Gentiles? He was avoiding the Gentiles because he was hanging around Jewish people of the day. And Jewish people were really still in this circumcision thing. You had to be circumcised in order to really know and understand who God is. And I mean, this is like, to Paul, this is blow mind-blowing. How, how could we get back to this? And he called Peter on it. It's okay to do that. Now, it doesn't talk a lot about Peter's response you know, in this, but i got to imagine there was repentance. But my point is, Peter was in the wrong when he was avoiding the Gentiles. And, and Paul called him on it. Now, this is a really important thing for us to have that example in Scripture. Because... My point in the story would land on because Peter was in this place where Paul provided you know, part of the correction, do we discount everything Peter said? I mean, here's the first guy who ever taught anything on the way, Jesus, right? He had that amazing sermon that saved like, what, 3,000 people? That'd be pretty awesome. So do we discount all of that? Do we discount all of Peter's teaching and his, you know, do we question his motive because he was doing this? He was in the wrong, but he was, he was corrected. So this is a really important thing. Did, did Peter's demonstration take Paul's love away for Peter? I don't think so. Paul corrected, but Paul loved Peter as well. And I think too many times I see this, not in the church here, but out in the church in general. This is where churches start, or groups or uh, sectors start picking on each other. And, you know, the names like heresy and hypocrisy are just thrown around so easily. And I'm thinking, man, how is this a picture of unity? I mean, this has got to be like Satan's greatest tool to use us against each other, to have the guns pointing inward. That, that's not, that's not what the church is about. Correction, yes. But, you know, when, when uh, doctrines of demons and, and heresy and hypocrisy are, thrown, are terms that are thrown around, my ears, you know, start getting pretty attentive. Because we are encouraged in Scripture to guard unity above almost anything as it relates to the church. So this is one thing I think in, in worship and just in church culture in general that we need to be very, very uh, focused on Scripture with and focused on uh, the discernment of the Holy Spirit. So how do we judge this? I mean, how do we judge whether the songs we're singing or the words that are being taught from the pulpit. How do, we, how do we judge this? Well, we judge it by Scripture. 
We judge it by the Holy Spirit. And the evidence is changed lives. I mean, you know, if we, if we just come to church the same group of people for 30 to 40 years, nothing ever changes. New people come in and they leave because their lives aren't changed. That, that's probably a signal that the church isn't probably doing its job. But if people come in that have brokenness, broken lives, and their lives are being changed, that's a healthy and effective church. That's a, that's a church where unity is being demonstrated. That's a church where the word is being preached. That's a church where we are, we are getting to the depths of our heart and our soul in worship, in, encouraging the body, strengthening the body, encouraging the body to, to offer our full self up to our, to our Lord. Real, radical life changes are a really big part of knowing and discerning you know, how, how the church health is, is working. Not the only thing, but certainly a big part of it. So Jesus um, meets this woman at a well, and he gives us a clue to what we tune in to with worship. He says, he says this in response to her, but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the worship is in him. The worship is not, true worship is not worship that's separate from him. When we're reborn, when we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, we can worship in spirit and in alignment with Jesus Christ, the truth. So after, you know, we consider these revelations, I'd call them, you know, revelation of who God is, revelation of who we are, it's our response to it where this worship setting, the praise setting really comes together. Remember the, the iceberg? So when we get into the depths, when we get under the surface, that's where we get into real authenticity. So our response really reveals our authenticity. And God and us are really the only ones who know that. Because I can raise my hands, I can sing loud, I can even jump around. But if my worship isn't authentic. It means nothing. I want to just jump right to uh, Genesis 4, 3, and 5. And this is, this is kind of a picture, a demonstration of what I mean. Um, the setting here is Cain and Abel, the, the, the two first brothers in the Bible. And I'll just start reading at Genesis 4. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first, uh, firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So, became, so Cain, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Cain's heart was not rightly positioned in response to the Lord. 
That's why the Lord found no regard in his offering. Both Abel and Cain gave offering. They gave gifts. But he desires our heart more than our produce. He wants our soul, not our stuff. So that's a really important thing to consider. But remember that Abel did give a gift as well. And so an authentic response releases anointing. Now this is where things really start kicking in. This, this is where we really start to understand the dynamic that we have in understanding who God is, understanding who we are, releasing to Him our, the depths of our soul. He wants our stuff too, but it's in demonstration of the soul. So, the anointing. How is it, how is it that so many songs and so many teachings and the media can lure so many people to churches without any change to their broken lives? We can have the best singers up here. We can have the best musicians up here. We can have the best words up here. But if there's not an impact of changed lives in the church, we can have the best teachers in the church. We can have the best fun at life groups. If we're not bringing real change to broken lives, I'm telling you, there's something wrong. Because gifts attract people, but anointing changes lives. And the thing that's just rocked me the past few months is that anointing, if you go to, the, if you go to the, just the, the physical process of, of how you get oil, it's the crushing. It, you know, it comes from fruits like grapes or or olives, you get olive oil from olives, you get grapes for, or wine from grapes. But you don't get that until you crush the grapes, until you pulverize the olives. And it's in that crushing that the anointing is being provided. <laughs> oh man, I mean, this is, a, this is a life changer. Because we so often focus on the fruits. We want to bear fruit, we want to, you know, do the, do the gifts thing and and just be providers. Not sure that's going to change many lives. You know when it says in James, count it all joy for various trials and tribulations because it brings perseverance, perfection of faith, changes lives. Difficult circumstances are a gift from God. The anointing that comes out of the pressure. It's really the only thing that helps us understand the faithfulness of God. Because without those challenges, there would be no reason. So we can be entertained by a gift or we can be changed by an anointing. That's why I guard this so strongly in our, in our worship team 
that we're pressing in during the week. We're not just up here singing on Sundays. We're in the Word. We're in life groups. And we're in prayer. Because it's the anointing that that really makes the difference here. So the last uh, the last point I want to make is uh, just in regard to the demonstration of our trust in God, because this is also a big part of of our relationship. You know, it's not it's it's not to say that God doesn't want our stuff, but he the reason he wants our stuff is where the answer is. He wants our stuff in the form of tithe or time or, or our treasures because it's a demonstration of the commitment that we have to Him, the demonstration of how much we trust Him. So if you're not tithing financially time with your, with your gifts, I'd encourage you to do so because there's, there's great blessing in it. So how does this all come together? What resonates with God? What resonates with God I would put this way, submitting all that we are in the Son and by the Spirit before all that He is. It's really that simple. Submitting all that we are before all that He is. That's what resonates with God. And it is, it's response to the revelation that really demonstrates this. When, when revelation is unclear... The response is going to be fuzzy. If we don't fully understand mercy, we don't understand the depth of our sin. If we don't understand the depth of our sin, we don't understand the greatness of His holiness. The more we understand about God, the more we want to offer ourselves to Him. So submitting all that we are is that response to the revelation of all that He is. Amen? So, <clears throat> transitions. Aren't they fun? Who likes transitions? Who likes change? I want an honest answer. <laughs> you too. <laughs> uh, so, um, there's something that I've been praying about for years now already, and there's been uh, prophetic words that have been given to me and the church about, about something that, that I need to come to the church uh, with now. Um, so this might sound like an announcement. It's, it's, you know, just, it's just change. It's just transition. So in closing, I, um, I want to tell the church that there is a change going on in our team in our, in our worship team. And that is that um, it's come time for me to release my commitment as the leader of the Victory Praise Band. Um, but this is God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not Pastor Mike's idea. It's not the elder's idea. This is God's idea. And um, <clears throat> the decision has been given... Uh, much consideration, much prayer, much time uh, seeking, seeking how to do this. But um, it is God's idea. I, I've been encouraged prophetically and otherwise to operate more strategically in the church. I've been encouraged to, to align with Mindy in ministry opportunities that we've wanted to do for so many years, but I've just not had the time to do it because of the commitment at, at, 
at the worship level. You know, I've been encouraged to train and, and release. And so that's what I'm going to do. And uh, it's going to be to Sam Nelson. Uh, she is ready. I'm not retiring. Uh, I'm going to continue serving as uh, the elder over uh, praise and worship. So I'll be at her disposal uh, if she needs me to be at any time. It's not going to be the last time. This transition, by the way, is going to happen May 1st. And that won't be the last time that I'm ever on stage. But I am going to step away because Sam is ready and uh, she, she, uh, she has a gift. It's easy to see her gift. She also has an anointing. And that anointing, um, you know, needs to, needs to continue to, to grow and to bless. And um, she can be strong and courageous in this because she is called to lead. And uh, at the end of everything, there is a beginning of something new. So this is, this is going to be a, a good time for victory. It's going to be a good time for Sam and Luke to really step into a, a new area of her gifting. And um, yeah, it's going to be a good thing for me too. So just wanted to close with that. So thank you. Went a bit over time here. Sorry, I had way too many notes. I actually skipped about half of it. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for um, the, the way that you re- reveal yourself to us. God, we are um, so blessed. We're blessed beyond, beyond measure. God, and we just pray that as you continue to invest in our life, God, that we would continue to be a demonstration of how, how much you can change lives how good life is in Christ. Lord, so we offer our praises to you. We offer our whole selves to you. We just ask for opportunities this week to go out and be a a demonstration of the unity that we find in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.